We're in a fourth week of a series that we're calling our identity in Christ, which is a crucial, crucial area. Area, You will not find the word identity in Scripture anywhere, but especially in the New Testament, over 35 times, you'll see the Apostle Paul will use a little phrase, in Christ. It's his favorite way to refer to a Christian, more so than he refers to him as disciples, uh, as is the kind of the flavor of the way Jesus would refer to him. Paul seems to call, use the phrase, that we are in Christ or in Him or in Jesus. Over uh, about 35 times in all of Paul's letters, he uses that phrase, in Christ. And no more more famous than 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, um, if we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things will come new. I think that before we finish with this series, I'll take a time and we'll just lay out that little phrase, in Christ. We're going to kind of do that a little bit today, but that's a really, really important phrase. Only three times, I told you this two weeks ago, I think, only three times in the, all of the Bible are referred to as Christians. In all of the New Testament are referred to as Christians. Uh, the, 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 the term that is used is either disciples or that you are in Christ. You are no longer in you and in your sins and in your effort. You are in Christ. And that's a marvelous truth for um, the Apostle Paul. When we defined identity, uh, we've said it's, it's where we get our uh, sense of self, our sense of uh, worth. It's where we get validation uh, in life. We've said identity is what is consistent in all the roles that we play. We all play a lot of different roles. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a son. I'm a pastor. Uh, at least one week in the summer, I'm still a basketball coach. I'm a neighbor. Uh, I tutor on Mondays uh, at elementary school in town, so I'm a tutor at least for one hour a week. There's lots of different hats that we all wear. And what is consistent in all of those? I was at a Cedarville basketball game last night. I was watching the game, and there were three officials, obviously, officiating the game. And those officials are, are all, you know, work somewhere else. They don't make their living officiating. And uh, it's just one of the hats they wear. They could work at a factory. They could be a lawyer. They could be whatever they may be. But it's one of the hats that they wear is on Friday night, Saturday night, Tuesday night, whatever, they're officials. But what is consistent in all of the roles that we play? What is consistent in all of those? That, that, that is your identity. We hear a lot about identity today. We, it's used a lot. And we, we hear a lot about a sexual identity today. And we hear all kinds of things that we've never heard before on identity. I identify as and so forth and so on. That's why when I have the opportunity to do weddings like I do this afternoon. And Carolyn Sabo is marrying Stephen Benninger this afternoon. And, and uh, when I'm reading a little bit and talking about what the Bible says, I, I will bear down hard and harder than I've ever uh, had to bear down before that um, in man's infancy, God created them male and female. Because we have a lot of confusion about that today. We have a lot of people that are confused about their basic identity as a male and as a female. And I quote the passage that Jesus said when Jesus was asked about marriage. And he says, don't you know that in the beginning, God created them male and he created them female. We have a lot 
of confusion in society today about identity, and it's an important area and more so important for us as Christians because our identity in Christ is a really huge thing. Now, we can, our identity is kind of how we're defined, what defines us. And we said last week there, there, there's lots of things that define us, lots of roles that we play. And I use this deck of cards. And if you were here last week, you may remember this. If you weren't and didn't listen to the podcast, uh, we have lots of different roles. You know, I have 52 decks, 52 cards in this deck, but there's only one d- card at the top of the deck. And we have lots of different hats we wear in this life. But the important thing is what's at the top of the deck. So I, I, I have a... I have a, um, a husband card, and I have a father card, and I have a son card, and I have a pastor card, and I have a basketball coach card, and I have a tutor card, and I have a neighbor card, and I have, we go on on. But the critical thing is, that's not wrong, that all those cards are in the deck. The critical thing is, what's at the top of your deck? That's your identity. What is the consistent thing that that the thread that runs through the fact that I'm a husband, the thread that runs through the fact that I'm a father, the thread that runs through the fact that I'm a son, that I'm a pastor, that I'm a basketball coach, that I'm a tutor, that I'm a neighbor, that I'm all the things that I may be. What's the common thing that runs through that? And that's my identity. That's how I'm defined or I want to define myself. Lots of things can define us in life. A lot of us have been through hurt and pain and trauma in life. Some may have happened at a very young age. And those hurts and those pains and those traumas can linger with you. And if you're not careful, it can define you. You can define the fact that uh, something that happened to you many years ago can define you. And the fact that you were sexually abused way back when can still define you and while that was certainly a traumatic event and no one would want to minimize that event that should not define you no matter how terrible that was the fact that your mother or your father did something they shouldn't have done or said things they shouldn't have done said got an email a couple weeks ago from a guy in his church that says that he heard from his parents in his house that he was not wanted How would you like to hear that as a five or six-year-old kid? We never wanted you to begin with. How do you deal with that as a young child? Some people are defined by pain and by trauma, by abuse that they have gone through. Some people get defined by other people's opinions. I I told you last week that and, and, and sometimes it's not other people's opinions. It can be, but sometimes it's me thinking that other people are thinking. You know what I found out in my life? People don't think about me as much as I think they think about me. <laughs> and they don't think about you as much as you think they think about you. That's how self-centered we probably all are. But I can remember, I think I've told you this before, but I remember, you know, part of the sin that God forgave me on August 29th, August 29th 1993 is... is the sin of divorce and I had an unbiblical divorce and left my wife and it's through that divorce that I ended up becoming a Christian and and but I I was the only first one in our family that ever got divorced and and there was this D 
Now, now everybody that looked at me wasn't looking at and saw a D tattooed to my forehead, but that's what I thought. And doesn't Solomon say in Proverbs somewhere, as a man, the old King James, as a man thinkest, so he is in his heart? People don't think about you as much as they do, but we think they do, and so we think they see this big D. Or you fill in what your letter is. I've told you, uh, one year, as a basketball coach, as a high school basketball coach, I had a horrible year, it was a horrible a horrible season, and, and I had this L, losing basketball coach tattoo. And, I, and I, I couldn't go anywhere that I didn't think everybody was seeing this L. Everybody wasn't seeing that. But I thought they were because we're so enslaved to other people's opinions of us. Where it's, they can define us. Culture can define us. I'm going to step on some toes here, and I don't really mean this because I know clothing styles change and okay, but this is the best thing I've ever got to share this. And so don't get mad at me, okay? This is just a perfect example. When I grew up, and I've used this before, so some of you know what I'm going to say. So when I grew up, man, you got to make fun of if you went to school with holes in your jeans. Can I get an amen on that? You've heard me say this before, and I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying how things change, and Mama used to take those patches and iron them on my jeans. No Atherton is going to go to school looking like that. But somebody in some magazine one day wore a pair of jeans that had holes in them, and somebody said, that's cool. Now everybody's got holes in their jeans. You pay $50 for people for jeans with holes in them nowadays. It used to be when you have holes in them, you give them to the Goodwill. I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying people's opinions. Somebody said it was cool. Some magazine said it was cool. Some model had them on and all of a sudden became cool in California and it takes about three years to get all the way to Ohio. We're defined many times by our culture or what the media or the TV or says we should be defined by. Enemy of our souls suggests thoughts. Remember, he can only lie to us. He can deceive us. He can distort the truth. It's all he can do but he can suggest thoughts and lies, and we have the opportunity to believe that or not. But many times the the enemy can come in and deceive us and define us. And I don't know how to determine sometimes between what the enemy suggests and what is just coming through with my flesh because there's also a tape that runs through my head of things I tell myself. But as the Christian, the 
It's how do we get the truth to the top of the deck? How do we get what God thinks about us to the top of the deck? How do we get to the top of the deck that I'm a Christian? And that determines everything instead of a Christian just being one of the cards in my deck. There's one passage of Scripture that, that um, is jam-packed with truth about who we are as Christians. Now, what's Christian now? Okay, I, I, I just, I've had this for as long as I've been pastoring, but I just think there's a whole lot of people come to church that may think they're a Christian, but they've, they're not because they've never been born again. They've never gone through repentance. And let me tell you, if you've ever gone through repentance, you'll remember it. Repentance, it ain't fun to go through. That you truly, not only sorry for your sins, but you, will, you, you want to forsake those and you don't want to go there again and you no longer rely on your own good works or righteousness or you rely on what Jesus has done for you. That's when you experience the new birth, the born-again experience. <clears throat> I've told you before, i got a book in my office called The Unsaved Christian and I'm reading through that and I, Maybe that's a sermon series. I don't know. But if you are in Christ and all that that means, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 are stock full of identity stuff. The Bible says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hear those words? Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He reaches back into Exodus 19 when, when God, through Moses, is talking to the people of Israel. And he calls them, uh, I think in 19.6 maybe, calls them his treasured possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now, I like that phrase, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those two verses are jam-packed, and that's where we're going to land for the next few minutes. The text says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen people. You sang the song earlier today about we are chosen. And that song, Who I Am, and I don't know if you've ever really concentrated on those words that you're singing. That, that, that whole song is stock full of identity. And that's why Josh has ch chosen that song to sing twice now in four weeks. You are a chosen people. That means you're accepted. That means you're accepted. And acceptance is a, is, a, is a really, really, really huge thing. Some of the deepest wounds that we have are wounds of rejection. Rejected by family members, rejected by mom or dad. Rejected by uh, our peers. I, I never had this experience, but I always empathize with people that did. 
God gave me a little athletic ability. I just always have had it. I don't know why I got it. My brother didn't get any of it. I got it all, okay? And it came from the same mom and dad. So I can't, you know, I just, it has happened. It could very easily just have been reversed. But so, so when we chose sides on the playground and you got two captains, okay, Jonathan's going to be a captain and, and, and Brandon's going to be a captain, okay? So we picked two captains. And then what the captains do? They pick their sides. And you know what? Someone is picked last. Now, I was never one of the ones picked last just because of God-given stuff I had. But I always, even I was kind of honorary as everybody else was, but even in my honoriness, I kind of felt sorry for the, probably the fat little kid that got picked last. Now, that's little bitty rejection that happens on a playground and that's not a whole lot in the whole scheme of life and we know that now but in that time that's a big deal man because the playground's where everything happened right at recess big time stuff went on then some of our deepest wounds that we have in our life are wounds of rejection of a husband that rejected his wife or a wife that rejected her husband or we could go on and on and on about that we we have a need to be accepted so we wear certain clothes and I was just like I mean when I pick on the holes in the jeans I was just like everybody else when I was that age you know when you get to my age you just don't care anymore okay but I was just, I'm, not, I'm not picking on that. It's just it's stuff we all go through. You know, why did I wear something so silly as those big bell-bottom pants, you know? Because, right, Harold? We're cool, weren't we? Yeah, we were, man. <laughs> Acceptance drives the clothes that you choose and the cars that you drive let me tell you man my first car I told I've told you this my first car was a big old ugly four-door Oldsmobile Cutlass and kind of a puke green color and 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 then I traded that or sold that and I got a 1969 Ford XL Galaxy XL with a black vinyl top eight track player right there in the middle I remember saying, well, if any girls don't like this, well, then the heck with them. <laughs> and the A-track was even situated in such a way that she could still sit over here close to me like that. You remember how it used to happen all the time? And those big bench seats and your girlfriend would sit right next to you. Remember that? Then I trade that in. I couldn't believe Dad let me buy, spend $2,200 for a 1973 Monte Carlo. <laughs> man, it was sharp. I, I waxed the color off of that one, man. <laughs> Because we, 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 we really are people that need to be accepted. That's why you feel so good with an honor, with an award, with a promotion. And I'm telling you today that you are a chosen people. I, I received self-esteem when Sue Ewing chose me on November 18th, 1995. 
and she became Sue Atherton. She chose me and accepted me so much that she dropped her name and took mine. There's a certain identity that comes with that that's good because we strive acceptance. You are a chosen people. You know, our two boys are adopted. We chose them. And we tell them that. They're no accident. They, this didn't come by a biological act. We, we literally chose them. We, we jumped through hoops to do that, took classes to do that, paid money to do that, went through a lot of grief and court things and to do that. And we adopted them. And the Bible says you are an adopted child of God. You're an adopted child of God. All the acceptance that you ever need in life, you get that from the Father if you can get it to the top of the deck. And all those other things are somewhere down the line. I told you last week or two weeks ago about a young lady was in my office and difficulties in her life and I talked to her about identity issues and she says, yeah, I believe that, but what's good that if no one will ever ask me out? She had something else at the top of her deck. Hmm. And we're accepted. Not because you've earned it and because you've tried so hard or you're so good looking. Not because of anything you've done. Because you've, if, if it's because of you, what you've done, you, you can then undo it or you could lose it or you could not be good looking enough or not work hard enough. You have been accepted because you are in Christ. Something else that someone else has done for you. And you're accepted because of that. Our text says you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That word holy shows up usually in association with God, but it shows up in association with people a few times. Holy means other. It means distinct. It means set apart. That you, you have your, your best china and you set that apart, only use it on your certain occasions. And there's a lots of things in your life that you set apart and only bring it out at certain times. It's other stuff. It's distinct. It's set apart. And God says we are a, a holy nation. We are set apart. We are valuable to Him. You have value. You have value in and of yourself. So much value that God thought that you were to die for. That's how much value you have. How is value determined? How is value determined? If it's determined by who owns it, first of all. You ever watch that show Pawn Shop? About that pawn shop in Vegas and everybody brings in all kinds of stuff. Well, I was watching this weekend and some of you know who Ronnie Van Zant is. He was the lead singer for Leonard Skinner. He got killed in a 
airplane accident when he was 29, but he's a big southern rock star. And so God brought in a hat that he said belonged to Ronnie Van Zandt. And it had Ronnie Van Zandt uh, autograph on the hat, and it had several pictures that uh, of Ronnie Van Zandt wearing that hat. And now, if it was my hat, it wouldn't have been worth anything. You couldn't have go pawned it. But you see, this guy said he had Ronnie Van Zandt's hat. And so the owner of the pawn shop was there, and his son was there, and his son, you know, was raised after Ronnie Van Zant was already killed, and Ronnie Van Zant wasn't any big deal for him, but his dad thought Ronnie Van Zant was a big, big deal. And so the guy says, the guy, the owner of the pawn shop asked the guy that had Ronnie Van Zant's hat, he says, what do you want for this hat? And the guy says, $20,000. The guy that owned the pawn shop says, I'll give you ten. See, the worth of something depends on who owned it or owns it. They couldn't come to agreement. The guy turned down $10,000 for a hat. He walked out of the pawn shop. Value is, determines who owns it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23 says, You were bought with a price. God bought you with a price. You have value. The text says you are a holy nation. Value is determined by who owns it, but value is also determined by another thing. You know, there'll become a day that we'll get some realtors to give us some opinions on what our house is worth. You know, we'll, we'll decide to scale down and we'll get two or three realtors to give us their opinion on what the house is worth. And they'll, they'll come to opinion and their opinions will probably be pretty close and but you know, that's really not how value is determined. The market, it's really not. I can tell you how much you, all of your house is worth right now, and I've never seen it, a lot of your homes. Because the value is what someone will pay for it. Ronnie Van Zandt's hat wouldn't have had $10,000 of value for me. But it did for the guy that owns pawn shop. And maybe someone's just, when we get ready to sell our house and our realtor friends say it's worth da-da-da-da-da and maybe someone's just dying to move to Xenia, Ohio and they may pay $25,000 more than it's worth because the value is, is how much somebody will pay for it. And you may have something of extreme value that you're trying to sell but if I don't get it and I don't know why this thing you have is of value, it's not worth that to me. It's worth what I'll pay for it. And every time you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you should understand your value. The cross should, uh, the cross should teach us about several things. And maybe that's a sermon series one, one time. that When we look at the cross, we should see several things. But one of the things you should see when you look at the cross is you should see your value. God the Father must have thought you were worth a lot.
Can you get that to the top of your deck? The next verse is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This verse says that part of your identity is that you're forgiven. That's a huge part of my identity, huge. Because you know why? I was a big-time sinner. Now, some of you weren't. And some of you don't identify with that motif as well as others. But the Bible says very plainly, uh, those who have sinned much love much. You see, I know what I've been forgiven of. Some of you good little schoolboys and schoolgirls, you don't get it. And you think you were really, really good people. Man, to understand that God has erased my sins. That he remembers them no more. Wow. That's a a lot. That's a lot of my identity and how I can walk in confidence and how I can do what Charles Wesley says in the old hymn, one of the greatest hymns of all time and can it be he says in one verse bold I approach the eternal throne and there's only one way that I can be bold as I approach the eternal throne is to know that I approach it in Christ as a forgiven person there's no way I could approach it as Mark Atherton I approach it in Christ as a forgiven person God doesn't hold a grudge about your past sins. Somebody else may. But God says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is now no condemnation for those, here it is again, that are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't hold a grudge. Yeah, your sister holds a grudge. Your brother holds a grudge. Your your past employee holds a grudge. Your mom or your dad may hold a grudge. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. God speaking, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Somebody says, well, where are your sins, Mark? And I say, well, I don't know. Maybe they're over in the east somewhere. And they said, well, I don't know. I went over to the east and looked at them and couldn't find them. Well, maybe they're over in the west somewhere. I went over there and looked find them, and I pointed to the Bible verse that says, my sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. You get that? I think that's a lifetime to, to grasp that, that you're not working off your sins. You're not trying to be a good little boy and girl. You are forgiven if you have been born again. If you have accepted Christ as payment for your penalty, if you've repented and said, Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to play that side of the record anymore. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. There it is again, in him. There it is. That's just like in Christ. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Wouldn't it be awful to have all these riches of God's grace that are available to me and I somehow can't get it to the top of the deck? And I should walk as an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ with all the riches that are available to me in that, but I somehow can't get it to the top of the deck. I was Googling. I wasn't Googling. I went on a ministry site that helps me in preaching sometimes, trying to find some illustrations for, for this forgiveness and one of the favorites that I've ever found and was on this site as well was uh, a guy was translating the Bible into some African dialect and he was trying to find the right word for forgiveness and he just really couldn't get it in that culture and he was speaking with one of the Africans that speaks English and was trying to come up with the right word and they decided on a word that was used in slave trade when the slaves were lined up and getting ready to get on the boats and come to the new land they had shackles around their arms and their wrists and their feet and even a big old shackle around their neck. And before they got on the boat, some of their kin, African kin or friends or anyone, could, could redeem them, or that's our word, that wouldn't have been their word, could, could buy them back for X amount of dollars, could give the slave trader X amount of dollars, and so he'll let them stay. And they, they used a word in the African dialect that literally means, remember, there were shackles around the neck, that means let his head out. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be forgiven. At least the Africans thought it did. That they're no longer going to the new land as a slave. They've been freed. They've been redeemed. This gets translated as forgiven, at least in that African Bible. I just love that, and I don't preach it as good as I should. I stand before you forgiven today. And you know what? When that day comes, I'm going to walk to the eternal throne boldly because I'm walking in Christ, and I'm just silly enough to take God at his word. And you walk to that eternal throne clothed in anything else except Christ Jesus, you will get rejected. No matter how good a person you are. Let me finish. Back to our verse, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Oral priesthood is kind of weird. We don't even use the word priest. You know, we're not, we're not Catholics. But the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. What do priests do? Well, they represent, they mediate between God and, and men. They represent God to men and men to God. And, and even in the Catholic tradition, when you, you have confession... You confess to the priest and he mediates. Go 
go say so many Hail Marys and so many whatever. whatever. He, he's, he's a mediator. He's a priest. He stands there in the place of God. And he says, you are, you're a royal priesthood. And that tells me no matter what I may feel, no matter how inadequate I may feel, remember now your feelings are a poor indicator of truth. But what I may, I may not feel like I can represent God. I mean, I feel like I'm a royal priesthood. I might not feel like that God has sent me out there as some kind of a priest that the Bible calls me a royal, part of a royal priesthood. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 is a precious verse for me. It says, we are therefore, and whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to look to what's before because they're saying, because this is true, therefore, this is now true. And what comes before 2 Corinthians 5.20? What's 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And then 5.20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. (laughs) You represent God. We talk a lot about scattering, and that's not a little cool thing that we made up on a logo. We, we scatter out, and as we scatter, we, we're Christ ambassadors. We're Christ ambassadors. That's though God were making his appeal through us. And as you go with your families and in your workplaces and your neighborhoods, you're, you're, you're part of a royal priesthood. You're representing God to men, men to God. You're an ambassador, just, just as if someone is an ambassador of the United States in some foreign country. You represent the United States. You represent God. I don't feel much like an ambassador. Who cares what you feel like? It's the truth that matters. I can see how, you know, Mark and Nathan and all them guys got a call on their ministry. I can understand how they they can feel that way. You know what what I say to you as, as kindly as I can? You're an unbelieving believer. We talked about two weeks ago. You're an unbelieving believer. What is at the top of your deck? It certainly is not what God says about you. God says you're capable. You're a royal priesthood. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything, but our confidence comes from God. It's not that I'm confident in myself and I'm so good and I'm so this. It's because not only, listen, not only is, am I in Christ, the Bible says Christ is in me. And because of that, I have competence I am capable. It's not in ourselves. It's not in ourselves. Our confidence comes from God. Next verse. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Your royal priest, you scatter. That's important. Just go out there and scatter in all of the places that you go. And where you at, you're a little priest. You represent God. 
And all this stuff sounds well and good. But the key is, how do you get it right here? And last week we finished with a verse, was it Thomas or one of the disciples that said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm a believer, but I've got pockets of unbelief, you know, and I don't feel very forgiven, and I don't feel like a priest, and I don't feel capable, and I don't feel accepted. Then the only thing I know to tell you is to go to him in prayer and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, Help me get the right thing to the top of the deck. And I, don't th- I really think that's going to be one trip to the altar. That's not going to be just like, voila, God does it. I think that's a journey of realizing who we are in Christ Jesus. Somebody in seminary told me at one chapel that the Christian life is a pilgrimage of discovery to find out who we are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. The Bible actually says we're hidden in God. I'm not sure I know what it means, but it sounds pretty good. We're hidden with Christ in God. And if you're in Christ, it seems like to me, that that changes the way you walk and that changes the way you talk. You don't change the way you walk and change the way you talk so you can be in Christ. You are in Christ, so that changes the way you walk and the way you talk. That's Christian thinking. The other is a legalist who who thinks that they have to be so, so good, have to do this, have to do that. If I walk good enough, if I talk good enough, then I'll be in Christ. Biblical thinking is, you have been born again. You have been adopted by faith. You are in Christ. Now live that out. That's Bible. Our servers are coming to the table. And as you come to receive the cup and the bread, symbols of Jesus' death on the cross, remember... That as you receive that cup, which is a symbol of his blood, and that bread, which is a symbol of his body, it's reminding you of your worth. You have value, so much so that you were bought with a price. It's part of your identity. Do you believe that? Father, I think I could preach on this for a month of Sundays and still feel like I've not even got myself around this topic. But by an act of your grace, would you give us understanding? And then when we have understanding, would you give us faith to believe and walk in the truth of it with all the confidence that we can walk as adopted sons and daughters of a living God, people who are accepted and capable and valuable forgiven help us father remind us daily of truths and may we repeat them over and over again 
do they settle down deep in our spirits. May we write them on our walls. May we put it on our mirrors when we look, at, when we look in the mirror in the mornings. May we do whatever we have to do to get it down to the place in our bodies where we really believe and lean hard. Give us grace. Father, we say we believe, but help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.